On this edition of The Golf Guy, we talk to Larry Dornish, who is the longtime director of golf at Muirfield Village, which, of course, is Jack Nicklaus's uh, course in, uh, outside of Columbus, Ohio. Um, and um, Larry has uh, been there for 25 years. Um, and um, recently uh, won what is a very uh, special award uh, for club pros, which is the PGA Bill Strasbaugh Award, which bestows special recognition on a club professional who displays outstanding integrity, character, and leadership through a commitment to mentoring and making significant impacts on the careers of PGA professionals. And I think it's pretty well known in the game that um, Larry uh, is um, well known for, um, uh, I guess I would almost call it like um, being a, a, a sort of a graduate school um, uh, for uh, uh, aspiring PGA club professionals. Um, he has um, mentored many, many folks who have gone on to notable positions at um, many clubs across the country. Um, so a very deserving award for Larry. Um, but you'll hear in this podcast that he, um, how he got his start. It comes from, I think you'll hear, you know, pretty humble uh, beginnings um, in the Philadelphia area. Um, and um, he, uh, from there, um, has um, sort of come all the way to, um, you know, where he is today, which, as I say, is uh, being a director of golf at, at truly one of the special uh, clubs um, in the United States. So uh, next up, uh, Larry Dornish from Muirfield Village on The Golf Guy. So welcome, folks, uh, to another edition of The Golf Guy. Um, it's my great honor today to have uh, Larry Dornish with us. Um, Larry has had just such a fantastic career in golf um, at some very notable clubs. Um, and um, he uh, final stop, which we'll, we'll get to, is, of course, at Muirfield Village, um, and, um, uh, and, uh, but he's had quite, quite a career and we'll, we'll chat through that. Um, Larry, I want to just thank you again for joining us today. I'm looking forward to this. Well, thank you very much for having me. Um, so just to sort of get the ball rolling, um, maybe talk a little bit about how you got started in the game. I know that you, uh, I, I believe grew up in the Philadelphia area, um, and uh, maybe you could just give us a sort of uh, uh, summary of kind of how you came to get uh, get into this great game. Uh, yeah, it was uh, sort of by accident. I lived at 81 North State Road in Upper Darby, Pennsylvania, uh, which was six houses up from uh, the uh, Fairmount Park, Copps Creek, uh, Caracom Golf Complex. Uh, so as a young man, we used to go down there and uh, we had a bit of a, what used to be their practice range, but it was a small area. We played baseball, we played football, we did everything in this uh, little plot that they had there. And I must admit the park guards generally were good about letting us uh, play there. <laughs> and then, uh, you know, all of a sudden that uh, I went from there to doing what we called mooch golf balls, which is I'd walk up and down Cobbs Creek. Uh, finding golf balls, uh, and I could turn the golf balls into money. I can remember selling golf balls for a nickel a dime, and if you happen to get a Titleist, uh, you could probably sell it for a quarter. 
Um, <laughs> so uh, that's how I started, you know, making money. Uh, then I, you know, saw people carrying golf clubs and uh, found out about caddying. Uh, so I was lucky enough to start caddying there. Uh, and it, uh, you know, just I really enjoyed uh, the people I met and the opportunities I had. Um, went from there, I got was very lucky. There was a whole group of uh, African-American golf professionals there who really didn't have many other places to go. But Jimmy Wilburn and Billy Bishop and and uh, even Charlie Sifford, um, you know, were out there. And I can remember these guys had big leather bags and they were really well dressed and they were just really good guys. And for some reason they saw, uh, you know, they looked after me and helped me in the game and, you know, they took care of me as best they could financially. And I remember one day playing, uh, they played against Joe Lewis and that was pretty exciting. And, uh, you know, they're just a bunch of good guys. And then uh, I said, well, let me get a couple of clubs. And I started beating the ball around and, uh, we'd stay close to the river and close or close to the creek and close to the railroad tracks because we often uh, I didn't have the 50 cents that it took to buy a pass for the day. Uh, <laughs> so we'd sneak on and uh, go play and hopefully we could outrun the park guards and the horses. And uh, uh, pretty much that's how it started. Um, very lucky. I've been fortunate my whole career to have run into great people in this game and uh, who have taken an interest in me and created opportunities. And so I'm very blessed. Yeah, for sure. That must have been so interesting. So you mentioned Charlie Sifford. So he had sort of um, moved up into the Philadelphia area at that point. So that was sort of his regular place where he was playing at that point in time. And uh, is that so it sounds like? Yeah, I didn't see him all that much, Charlie. I remember um, actually he was playing in the uh, PJ seniors at PJ national one year and, he was in a cart and I walked up to him and I said, I, I was caddied in your group at Cobbs Creek. He goes, get in the cart. And I jumped in the <laughs> cart and for nine holes while he was playing in the tournament. We reminisced about, you know, oh, Philadelphia wow. and Cobbs Creek. And, and it was just a bunch of characters. There was five holes on the, the back nine of Karakong. And there was a guy named back five, Steve, who, you know, played and we'd just go around in circles and, you play for anything you wanted to play. You play for 10 cents. You can play for a dollar. I'm sure they had some bigger money games than that, but uh, there were just so many characters. So quite honestly, uh, and I don't feel sorry for myself. I was coming from a uh, sort of a broken family with uh, right. a father that wasn't home much, who was an alcoholic and uh, my mother worked full time. So, you know, hanging at the golf course really became, you know, my sanctuary. I'd go there every day start in the morning and come home at dark at night and and just uh, hang out at the golf course doing anything I could do. What a wonderful, and, that, that's wonderful. And, and wonderful that they took that interest in you at the golf course and kind of, uh, you know, folks like that. That's wonderful. That really is. Yeah. You know, like I said, really, really good people. Just, you know, uh, you know, love the game. They were passionate about it. They love to compete. Uh, you know, and they, yeah, we, there's lots of stories that, you know, some I won't share, but, uh, there's <laughs> lots of stories of stuff that went on as you can imagine. <laughs> I can, I can only imagine. Um, and, and so cool that you got to sort of run into Joe Lewis. My gosh. I mean, you know, that's, that's, that's cool. Yeah. Yeah. It was pretty special. And, uh, you know, like I say, at the time, I'm not sure, uh, you know, I knew the impact of what, you know, was going on, but, 
uh, again, just, you know, kind people that, uh, you know, always took an interest in, uh, you know, in a little kid from Upper Darby. So, so that's your introduction to the game and caddying and, and, uh, finding golf balls when you're younger, you know, that's classic story stuff. So how do we get from there to the Philadelphia cricket club? Because that sounds like it's probably, I don't know how, what it is in sort of distance in miles, but sounds like it, you know, that's such a well-known club. That's uh, sounds like it's a different environment than Cobbs Creek. Yeah, quite different. Um, well, I ended up from there uh, and I felt, you know, the next opportunity came at a place called uh, Paxson Hollow Golf Club, okay. uh, which was in Media, Pennsylvania. And uh, back in those days, you know, you just walk out the front door of your house, stick your thumb out and hitch a ride. And, yeah. uh, you know, so I hitchhiked out to Paxson Hollow. And again, I, I'd show up there in the morning and I'd, you know, rake bunkers. I'd uh, then go ahead and bring up carts. I'd then caddy. Uh, and then, you know, I ended up uh, watering greens at night, uh, you know, because uh, wow. know, we had the old hand watering system. Yeah, and you had a, sure. depending upon the size of the green, you had to set the sprinklers twice. So, right. Uh, you know, I just, I, I was really lucky again, just got into a nice group of people that were, uh, you know, a fellow named Phil Cassidy was a golf professional. And in the wintertime, he was quite a merchandiser. And uh, I stuffed envelopes and, uh, uh, you know, for his mailings. And in return, I got credit for 50 cents an hour for green fees. So I, you know, didn't, right. didn't even make that much cash, but, you know, I worked uh, all winter long collecting, saving money. And then in the summers, you know, I'd worked so many hours that I remember one year they paid me almost up through Christmas because they didn't allow overtime. So I remember I had enough hours accrued that I got paid almost up till Christmas with all the hours I had worked over the summer. Wow. Um, and uh, there was a fellow there that came there as the golf professional by the name of Dave McCleary. Uh, and again, just a really nice man. And one day, and I wasn't even working for him at the time. I was working out on the golf course. Uh, he came up and he said, Bob Ross, who's the pro at the Philadelphia Cricket Club. Uh, he said he's, he's leaving North Hills, going to the Cricket Club. He's interviewing for uh, assistant golf professionals. And I think you should consider it. And I said, I, I didn't even know what an assistant golf pro was, quite honestly. I mean, I thought <laughs> I, did, I didn't exactly, because you're right. It's quite a leap from, you know, Cobbs Creek and Paxton Hollow to the Philadelphia Cricket Club. Uh, I actually was working a little bit that winter. My sister uh, was the uh, uh, secretary for a fella at Sun Oil and, and Roman Haas uh, industrial chemist. And right. I worked in the mail room and my parents thought I had this or my mother thought I had this great career to work my way up from the mailroom at Roman Haas. And I did that for a couple of months and sitting you know, down. So that's not for me. So thanks yeah. to David Cleary, um, I ended up going to uh, the cricket club for an interview. And I remember Bob Ross, uh, uh, who I just was in Ocala, Florida with him this weekend, celebrating his 90th birthday. Oh, wow. Wow. And we still talk, uh, every Sunday. And in 1967, he had won the Pennsylvania Open in 1966. He had just beaten Arnold Palmer at Ligonier. Um, wow. By one shot. wow. And so Bob was this, you know, you know, icon in the industry. Uh, there were 28 applicants for a third assistance job at $60 a week. And I don't know why, but he picked me. How awesome. Wow. Well, that, that is great. So, so you go to the Philadelphia cricket club, maybe talk a little bit about what the, that club is like and stuff for folks. Um, Cause it's, it's, you know, I mean, Philadelphia has so many um, 
just phenomenal clubs um, in golf, but um, that's certainly on the list. Talk about what it was sort of like and like back then for, for someone like you uh, walking into a place like that. Uh, it was really, it, it, it was amazing. Uh, in fact, for the first month um, that I worked there, I actually lived there and nobody knew it. Oh, wow. uh, and then I was living <laughs> up on the, in the clubhouse and Bob thought I was just a great employee. He said, you're the first one here and the last one to leave every day. <laughs> but he didn't know is I never left. Um, and I'd just sleep on the floor and then I'd get up in the morning and take a quick shower. And finally, Tom Brown was the uh, locker attendant. He came up to me after about a month. He said, you're staying here, aren't you? And I said, well, how do you know that? And he said, well, I know that because when I leave at night, there's no towels in the bin. And when I come in in the morning, there's one towel and uh, from you having taken a shower. And I said, well, it's the only thing I couldn't figure out how to hide. So Tom went to the club and they had a room up on the third floor. Uh, and Tom, uh, they let me stay there. So I actually stayed up on the third floor of the Philadelphia Cricket Club. And then this week, actually, uh, thanks to Jimmy Smith, who's now the pro there, uh, I've got behind me a picture that Bob had uh, taken of the 18th hole of the cricket club and a picture of the window on the uh, third floor that was the room that I stayed in. So, oh, wow, wow. Uh, so uh, I'm going to hang that here in my office here in the next day or so. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it was it was a totally uh, different group of people. I had not been around country club golf much. Uh, had not, you know, the cricket club was a very special place, a, yep. a great tilling gas golf course. Yep. Uh, um, and, again, just, you know, Working for Bob, you know, who he, you know, he taught me everything I know and the members there were so gracious and, um, you know, just, you know, wonderful people. I, again, just uh, I think it's typical of the game of golf, uh, you know, how many, you know, just good people there are and how much they're willing to help uh, other people. So I was the beneficiary of, uh, you know, showing up at the cricket club and uh, and working my tail off and you know, trying to get better as an assistant golf pro. Yep. No, that, that makes sense. I totally agree with you. So, so you're there, Bob, I know who becomes, uh, you know, a great mentor to you. And from there we go to Sawgrass. Is that, was that your next stop? Uh, with Bob? Yeah, there were a couple of years, actually. I was in the, the service for a, oh, a right, while that's there. Right. That's uh, right. I was, uh, I was working at the cricket club and this was November and uh, one of the members happened to be an admiral in the Navy Reserve. So wow. he came up to me and he said, um, well, you've got two choices. He said, either I'll get you in the Navy Reserve tomorrow, or you can wait until January and see how you do in the lottery. Yeah. And I said, well, I said, why don't I join the Navy Reserve? So uh, <laughs> the next day I went down and signed up and uh, spent six years in the Navy Reserve, two years on active duty, uh, two years as an active reservist, and then uh, two years inactive. And uh, uh, so I was gone for a while there. It's, it's sort of, I was actually eligible to be a member of the PGA um, and it passed everything, but I couldn't be a member because you had to be 21. Wow. So I, I, I officially am not a member of the PGA until January 1st of 1973, but I was eligible long before that. Um, so I went on two years in active, active duty. Don't feel sorry for me. I spent two years in Antigua in the British West Indies uh, <laughs> at, a, at a tracking station. Uh, met a fellow named Bob Dillon, who's still one of my good friends today. We've been friends for 50 years now. Um, and uh, I spent two two years in, the, uh, in, in Antigua in the West Indies. 
uh, having a blast defending our country. Uh, so um, then I came back out, went back to work uh, for Bob, uh, helped a little bit. I worked a couple of years for uh, in the winter for Al Nelson, who was at uh, Royal Poinciana in Naples, Florida, and yeah. probably one of the best cop professionals and nicest men I've ever known. Uh, and then, yeah, I went with Bob and we opened up the original Sawgrass Country Club uh, in 1973. Yeah, 1973. Uh, and uh, actually um, uh, stayed on there for a few years. And then Bob went to Baldessaral uh, as the head professional. We hosted the first uh, TPC there. Yeah, um, I remember the that. Original Sawgrass Country Club course. And I went off to be the head professional at a club called Sunnybrook in Plymouth Meeting, Pennsylvania. Wow. Okay. So you're so you're there. Uh, yeah. And I remember those those tournaments at Sawgrass when I mean that's before the stadium course, of course, and where the original TPC was played, and when the wind would blow. And um, yeah. I mean, uh, of course, we saw the wind the other day in Jacksonville with uh, you know the havoc it reached. But I remember some of those tournaments in the seventies. Remember Mark Hayes? I think won one year. I mean, it, it he just, won the first it, year. That's right. Yeah, I mean, it was just, but the wind <laughs> had trouble with that yeah. golf course. Yeah, there were a lot of guys that couldn't hit it. Dan Sykes, uh, for example, lived on the tenth hole, started on the tenth hole, and he couldn't hit the ball across the water hazard on the tenth hole to get across the water. He had to lay up on the ladies' tee and then hit oh, it wow. down the fairway and uh, <laughs> play the hole. And uh, yeah, there were a lot of complaints uh, that year with the. Uh, but the weather, it was just like Saturday this year. You know, it was right. almost unplayable, but uh, they went through with it and it was quite around. Yeah, for sure. So um, so that so that's where you're 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 there for a few years. Um, talk to me about um, from there. I'm just trying to think of the timeline, um, how you ended up going to Lost Tree Village. So I went to uh, Sunnybrook um, for 10 years as the head professional. Oh, wow, you do that long. Okay. And, and I was there, you know, quite a while. Uh, I had some really good friends um, uh, that, you know, again, a fellow named David Eager, who is, was with the PGA Tour and played yeah. the T PGA Tour. Uh, Mac England, uh, PJ Boatwright. Uh, oh, wow. I actually was doing doing some golf schools with Gardner Dickinson at the time. Oh, we got some, so, I got, uh, let me just interject for people because we're talking about some real luminaries there. I mean, in terms of rules, right. PJ Boatwright was kind yeah. of, was like God. And, right. you know, and I know David Eggers, you know, has been involved in some interesting rules, uh, things over the years and stuff. Those are pretty notable folks. Yeah. I, again, I, you know, I don't know why, but these people were always pretty nice to me uh, and they took an interest. And I can remember, you know, David Eager introducing me to a fellow named Jim Hoke, who was chairman of the selection committee. Uh, There's a fellow named Jim Pangburn, who was a member of Oakmont, who was a good friend of Bob Ross. Um, and so, uh, uh, you know, as it turns out, I think I was about the third, uh, you know, choice. Uh, there, um, but, but, you know, it, fortunately for me, uh, you know, Jack who lived there at the time, uh, was, felt, uh, was supporting a fellow named John Gurry, who was up in Atlanta at the time. Okay. And, uh, he pulled his name out the day before the interviews because he, you know, got a new contract up in Atlanta and that sort of led the, led it open for me by default. Um, uh, <laughs> I went down there. It was, uh, you know, my wife and I drove down and, uh, or flew down. Uh, we interviewed at the club and there's a kind of a loop you can take at Lost Tree that takes you around the whole property and you get back to the 
gatehouse. So we had like a 20, 25 minute interview. It didn't even seem very long. They told me go out the gate, turn right. And eventually I'll end up at the front gate. By the time I got to the front gate, uh, they, uh, the gate guard stopped me and he said, they want to see you back at the clubhouse. And I went back up and they said, uh, uh, you're going to get a following phone call here from uh, John Beagler, the president of the club. We'd like to offer you the job. Wow. So uh, I was just, again, uh, you know, I had such great support from, you know, like you say, with people like, uh, you know, you know, Dean Beeman and, and, you know, people like that, that, that I had known and made friends with. And a lot of them through my relationship with David Eager, who was with the USGA and the PGA right. tour. And, right. and, and then through the Nicholas Flick golf schools. And, uh, you know, I just, uh, again, uh, no good reason, but they gave me a chance. Well, Bob, sure, plenty of good reasons. I mean, it, 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 obviously, you've had quite an interview. You didn't even get off the property, and they're offering you the job, which is fantastic. So, so you're at Lost Tree. Um, when I'm, I'm curious because I have my own experience with uh, meeting Jack, um, and so I'm curious. So, how did you first meet him, and what was that like for you? Uh, well, it was pretty interesting because I had the best of both worlds. I was the head professional at Lost Tree for 10 years, and I spent eight summers at a little nine-hole golf course off the coast of Maine called the Terratine Club on Islesboro, Maine. Okay. So I would travel back and forth, uh, and it was fabulous, except I, I worked about 365 days a year between two <laughs> clubs. Sure. Um, but I'll never forget you know, meeting Jack on the range. And uh, actually, I, the first time I met him, it was at Shinnecock. Uh, during the U.S. Open up there, and I was in the gallery, and you know, uh, uh, Jack Two was caddying for him, and right. he walked by, and Jack Two recognized me, and you know, introduced me to Jack. And then at the club, you know, it was interesting because obviously at a club like Lost Tree, there's a lot of tradition and formality, and sure. and um, you know, I ca called everybody Mister Nicholas or right. you know Mister McKay, whatever it was. Right. And the first day I met Jack, says, "No, I'm just Jack," you know, so. Um, you know, he had a lot of respect. You know, he grew up his whole life with, you know, great golf professionals like Mr. Growl. Uh, and so sure. he had a, a, a real respect for club professionals and what they did. And, um, you know, he instantly uh, made me feel comfortable around them. And, uh, you know, I remember the first time he was hitting balls, he said, oh, go ahead, hit a couple. And I picked up a weight iron. I, I swung, this thing was like, it was short, it was stiff, it was heavy. I mean, I could barely, you know, swing it and hit a couple of shots. And, you know, I said to him, boy, if you had some good clubs, you might've won a few more majors, you know? And, and, uh, but he, you know, uh, you know, it was, he was just amazing. He was the, the, just an, uh, again, you know, one of those, you know, great people and took an interest and made uh, a lot of opportunities available to me. And, uh, became you know friends with his family and as you know and Barbara is just remarkable. So uh, yeah, I mean it just is one of those things where uh, uh, you know just just fun times, good times. Oh, for sure, for sure. And um, yeah, that was. I mean, he's always been my idol in golf, and um, you know it was an incredible thrill for me when in our in our firm to represent him. Back in 2007, I just always remember the first time seeing him and hearing that voice. You know, it's funny because, you know, you see someone on TV as I have since I've been a child and literally 30 plus years later, I'm actually meeting him. And, you you know, those that voice and those eyes, you know, he's, he's quite a presence, but a wonderful and nice guy. I totally agree. Yeah. I shared this story with him not too long ago. The first year I was at 
Lost Trey was the year after he had won the Masters, so right. 87. 87 yeah. and, and he went and back in 87, finished in the top 10, and I think he finished seventh. And yeah, the next morning, Gary Nicholas was hitting balls on the range and Monday, and Jack came down. I said, congratulations. And I said, he said, what for? And I said, well, you finished in the top 10 in defense of your title. That's pretty good. He said, I didn't go there to finish in the top 10. I went there to win. And he said, and I had a chance to win. All I had to do was shoot 31 on the back nine on Sunday. And so, yeah, I shared that with him that too long ago. And he said, I'm surprised we're still friends after that. And I'm <laughs> but, yeah. you know, that's just, you know, his competitive nature. I mean, he yeah. didn't, you know, it's, and it's interesting. We just a whole separate conversation about the commitment of today's players. And, yeah. you know, he was actually disappointed if he didn't, didn't win where, you know, I think some people we can make a case, you know, show up this week and, if you said, we'll give you third place money, you can go fishing for the week. Some of, some of the guys would leave. For sure. No, yeah, that's a great point. I mean, he was after titles and stuff and, and, you know, and, and yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't the money. It was, it was, you know, the titles and everything that's for sure. And yeah. And I mean, of course that 86 masters, I mean, every, I mean, you know, the greatest tournament of all time, that was, yeah. uh, that was something. So you're, so you're there um, uh, for about 10 years and, and this, I think, is so interesting. So, you know, we talk about, uh, you mentioned about Bob Ross and stuff. And I guess at that point now, if we fast forward into like maybe 96, and he's at um, Baltusrol, if I'm, I'm remembering right, and you had an opportunity right, yeah. to go there. Of course, Baltusrol, you know, site, among other things, of course, of Jack's, um, two of Jack's U.S. Opens, right? I mean, you know, yeah. and, and who'll remember, you know, I mean, Oh, remember 1980 and the chanting and Jack is back in the back of the, they, I think the USGA put that on the scoreboard behind the 18th hole and stuff. And so, and then 67 facing down Palmer. So two of his U S open victories. So ironic. So that, so you're looking to go there and Jack's a reference and maybe talk about kind of how the road turned a little bit from New Jersey to Ohio. Yeah. So, you know, Bob was retiring and, uh, he was, um, uh, you know, and I, as my mentor, uh, you know, I was obviously a candidate for the job and I had been at Lost Tree for 10 years and uh, felt like, you know, it was maybe time for me to move on. Um, so I applied for the job and Jack was a, um, a reference for me for the job at Baldus Uh They took a long time. It was a quite a process and they went through, um, you know, quite a few candidates uh, uh, you know, as they were going through this process. So right. one day it was actually, I guess, just uh, after Memorial Day, I was getting ready to go to my job in Maine, sitting in my office and Jack walks through the pro shop to go hit some balls. He goes, so if you get this job at Baldus Raleigh, you're really going to leave. And I said, yeah, I probably am. I said, it's, it's time. And he goes, well, if you're going to leave, he said, I'd rather you come to work for me. He said, Jim Gurney's going to retire from your field. Uh, would you be interested in coming to Mirfield? I said, absolutely. He said, okay. He said, why don't you and Carol and the boys go visit there before you go to Maine and you let me know. And so I, I said, well, I don't have to let you know I'm in. And so <laughs> I, I either had, the, as I say to people, I either had the longest or the shortest interview. It was either 10 years of him witnessing uh, how I ran the golf operation at Lost Tree, or it was five minutes, but you know, in whatever case, uh, uh, Jack offered me the position here and 
He said, what do you want to do? I said, I want to go someplace, uh, practice my trade, raise my family and live happily ever after. And uh, quite honestly, 26 years later, that's what it started out to be. Wow, what a run! So, so we're, you 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 go to Muirfield in in '96, and let's let's talk about some of those things in those 25 years. I mean, you know, I mean, there's a lot of different aspects to it. I mean, for starters, of course, the tournament every year. I mean, you know, one of the elite stops on the PGA Tour. Um, what's that like for you when the PGA Tour comes to Muirfield? What role do you play? What's what's kind of that been like, you know, when that happened, you know, over the decades? Well, it's obviously pretty special, uh, one, to be associated with Jack Nicklaus and the Nicklaus family and the Memorial Tournament. And if you look at the list of champions over the years, yeah. it's always been great players that have, you know, managed to win here. Um, and, and there's also a, a level of expectation that, you know, that, that Jack has and, and, and also that the players have come to know. So, uh, you know, I think and we think it's the best event on the PGA Tour that's held at the same club every year. So, uh, you know, it's pretty special. Um, you know, the week of the event, uh, I'm in charge of all the merchandising, uh, the caddies, the carts, uh, you know, logistically, some of those things. And then we're all kind of involved in hospitality, making sure that uh, whether it's a client of Nicholas uh, design or whether it's, uh, you know, somebody else that, you know, each of us represents not only the tournament, but the club. And right. that it's, you know, so we all do varying jobs, you know, the week of the event as it relates to entertaining and making sure that our patrons have a, a great experience. And uh, so it's a, it's a busy week, a lot of hours. I think, you know, one of the best, Days is Wednesday. Um, we have what's called the Memorial Club, uh, which is a great group of very influential people in the in the world of golf that come in for the day. Uh, they have uh, they all go to the honoree ceremony and the opening ceremony. Uh, then afterwards, uh, they have a, a meeting. You know, just to, you know, close the doors and this group gets together and they sit around and talk about the game of golf, how to make it better, how to make the Memorial tournament better. But just the, you know, walk through the locker room that day with Arnold Palmer and, you know, everybody else uh, that was here, you know, you kind of uh, go like, you know, it's really cool. I, I can honestly say I've always had enough self-confidence. I've never felt intimidated. Uh, but on the other hand, uh, it, it, there's, there's a time where you just kind of, I'll never forget, you know, when Mr. Palmer was here the last time and him and Jack kind of ended up in the corner, just the two of them leaning in, having a conversation. You're going like, man, wouldn't you like to be a fly on the wall? And <laughs> how special is that? And they got up and gave each other a hug. And, you know, just moments like that that, you know, I'll just never forget. Oh, for sure. I mean, their relationship, I think, is such an interesting thing in the history of golf because they were such fierce rivals and um but yet such became such close friends too at the same time and you know it's two such great sportsmen that you can have that intense rivalry on the field to play um and and yet have that respect and and um and i know they competed i know i've heard jack talk about this not only in golf but in business and everything i mean they yeah. were real everything they would compete in but yet such you know great great friends it's really a special relationship for sure yeah. and and i think it's interesting i i you know, i enjoy watching golf now but i really think this group that's out there right now when i when i see the sportsmanship when i see them congratulating each other for hitting a good shot uh, when I see, you know, at the end of a round, everybody still takes their hats off and yeah. shakes hands and all that. 
I mean, this current crop of players out there, uh, you know, sure they're playing for a lot of money and, and sure they make a lot of money, but you know what? They're, yeah, I'm quite proud to be associated with a game that's represented by this young group of people. And I can honestly tell you, you know, some of the, you know, Justin Thomas and yeah. Jordan Spieth, and you can yeah. go down the list. I mean, these are outstanding young men and yeah. represent our game really well. And, uh, you know, I'm very proud to be a part of it. I totally agree with you. In fact, it's so funny you mentioned those two, because those are the two that were in my head when you were just making that point. I mean, and um, but they're two of a bunch of folks who are, I totally agree. They really sort of show our game off really, really well. Totally agree. Um, you know, on Muirfield Village, I'm one of, one of the other things I'm just sort of curious, it, from a distance, and um, I've, you know, I've never been there, but of course, obviously familiar with the course, you know, I've watched all the tournaments over the years. Um, and Jack seems to always be tinkering um, with stuff. And then I know, and, and this was amazing to watch after the 2020 tournament, it like literally as, you know, they're finishing on the back nine, they're starting to rip up the front nine. So maybe talk about the tinkering and then that, and obviously 2020 was a lot more than the tinkering, it was like a total redo, it seemed, yeah. Like, right? Yeah, so, I mean, some of that was staged. I mean, that was kind of fun, you know, to get that on <laughs> yeah, TV, I'm that sure. was planned. Sure. Uh, but the, the other side of it was, as Jack was leaving the next day, we knew, and there were two things, the sixth green and the second green, that we weren't doing a whole lot to, that if we knew if we could get them done by Monday morning, uh, we could get Jack to sign off on them, and that would be huge for us as far as the scheduling of the work was concerned. Um, but, yeah, it was a major renovation. Uh, I'll never forget standing on the putting green with Chad Mark, who's our golf course superintendent, and Nicholas Soraka, who's our chief operating officer, and Jack and I, and Jack talking about the, you know, the fact that we had a lot of pointy in the greens and, you know, how it appeared on television and, you know, maybe we could regrass and we could do this. And Chad Mark making the argument that if we were going to, you know, do something, we needed to do something more extensive. And then it got around that I was saying, you know, that we really needed to redo our bunkers and our tea complexes. And, and, you know, Jack said, well, I'd love one more bite at the apple. Can you guys pull it <laughs> off? And we said, absolutely. So uh, we started a major renovation. Uh, we were actually named by uh, Golf Digest is the best new course renovation right. in 2021. Uh, the, the commitment of the people involved, you know, involved between Chris Cochran, who was the design associate, uh, Rich Labar with his construction company, Leibold, who did the irrigation. I mean, incredible team of people uh, and our course superintendent and chief operating officer that kept it on the rails. And we were ready to go and for the tournament. And, uh, you know, it was phenomenal. It, it, unbelievable job. And it, from what I've read about it, and I remember reading the Golf Digest award about it, it sounds like, you know, Jack and you guys managed to make it, you know, even more challenging for the pros, but yet the member tees, I think, are even shorter. So it's sort of like you were managing to sort of, because that's got to be a tricky thing, I would think, at a place like Muirfield, which is hosting a PGA tournament, you know, every year where you want to keep it challenging. And, you know, we all know the distance debate and how far, darn far everyone's hitting the ball these days, but you want it playable for the members too. And from what I've read, it sounds like you're able to hit both targets. Yeah, I mean, it, it was interesting to, you know, listen, as Jack said, he didn't know if it was going to be better or if it was going to be worse, but he, or excuse me, he didn't know if it was going to be harder or it was going to be easier, but he knew it was going to be better. Right. And that's what happened. Uh, uh, I would have to say that it is more challenging. 
but for you know the average golfer, he's uh, created uh, pin placements and entrance ways and bailout zones and things like that to, for the average player to still have fun. It's a very challenging golf course. It's certainly uh, the renovation. It's a better golf course, uh, you know, that we had before we started. Although what we started with was pretty darn good. Sure was. Um, and uh, but he did. He's uh, and everything he did when we'd stand on the greens was, you know, how do we create pin placements? You know, and you know he wanted to make sure that he had enough good pin placements for the tournament, but also additional pin placements for the members. And so all the greens were designed uh, with this, uh, you know, how do we create pin placements that are accessible, usable, uh, you know, for the members, and yet to, during the tournament can present, you know, the challenge we were looking for. Yeah, I mean, it's professionally, it was the best experience of my life, spending those eight weeks with that group of people and watching yeah. Jack and his son, Jack, too, who is really good at what he does and and listening to the interaction and the exchange and, and you know, how we got to the final product was, you know, like I say, it, probably the best professional experience I've ever had. Very cool. I'm sure that was cool. And I know one thing I bet you didn't change because I've heard so many stories about this are the milkshakes. Those are like <laughs> legendary on tour, right? They're supposedly the most phenomenal milkshakes in the world. <laughs> yeah, they are. Uh, we, 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 we give away and sell a lot. The players love them. I've seen players walk out of here on a Thursday afternoon with 10 milkshakes and go, you know, heading home for the, you know, for everybody from, you know, their aunts and uncles. So they're really, really good. And uh, yeah, we pride ourselves on, we have quite a competition because Castle Pines uh, thinks that theirs are better and, and wow. Whisper Rock, and there's a sort of a history of how we've gotten to Castle Pines. Keith Schneider was an assistant here, went to Castle Pines, and he took the recipe with him. And then the locker attendant at Castle Pines went to Whisper Rock. So everybody thinks they have the recipe, but we know ours are the best. That's fantastic. I never heard about that. So, yeah, I mean, it's uh, <laughs> Whisper Rock, of course, there's so many PGA pros that play there. Castle Rock, Jack's been involved in that. That's funny that the, the three of you guys have that competition. Yeah, I'm betting on you. You have the original recipe, I'm, I'm sure. Right. So, um, so we were talking a little about the renovation. So we're 2020 and um, the tournament um you know, is wrapping up. Um, and am I right that you first heard about your winning the very prestigious Strasbaugh War on from Jim and Jack, Jim Nance and Jack talking on TV? Was that when you first heard it? No, I, that's, I, I had known about Susie Whaley. It's a okay. funny story. She, yeah. she started calling on a Friday. Okay. And it was a West, West Hartford phone number. And to be honest with you, I didn't answer it because I didn't know who it was. So I get this phone call on Friday. I get a second phone call Friday evening from this West Hartford. Saturday, same thing, two phone calls from this West Hartford phone. I, get, I don't know who it is. So I, I happen to have my home. We have some horses. And so Sunday morning, it's like 27 degrees out. And I'm out there mucking stalls, uh, you know, cleaning up uh, and I, the phone rings again. I go, well, I better take it. I don't know who it is, but I'll take it. And it turned out to be Susie Whaley. Yeah. And uh, and Susie, you know, let me know that I had won the award, and uh, you know, it was quite a quite an honor. Very unexpected. There's so many deserving people in our organization. Um, uh, you know, I'm can't still can't believe that I I won. So I got the honor. But then Nicholas LaRocca, who's our chief operating officer, and just one of the 
most you know special people that our industry has. Um, he went to Lance Barrow, who's a friend, yeah, and, producer, and Jim right. Lance, who's a friend, and Jack, and, and had them. And so what happened was it was not supposed to be announced until the uh, following week by the PGA of America. But Nicholas went to Seth Wall and got permission. And, and so it was announced to everybody else because I was told to kind of keep it quiet uh, by Jim Nance and Jack Nicholas during the Memorial Tournament. Doesn't get any better I, than that. No, it doesn't. I remember I, and I, I, I remember watching it and seeing them announce it and stuff. So, so you know, uh, Jim Nance, um, obviously, you know, we go all the way back with Jim to 1986 in the Masters, right? That was Jim's first yeah telecast and um uh you know and i think he was if i'm remembering right when when jack hit the shot on 16 stiff and knocked it in and everyone's cheering and you know jim is like 25 at the around that age first right the bear has come out of hibernation uh, which is one of the great lines of all time so so talk about me your relationship with jim so you've gotten to know him obviously with cbs coming and doing the memorial all these years and stuff yeah, he's just a, a, you know, again, he's one of those people that's very open. He's very yeah. approachable uh, and really does take an interest in people. And uh, we had one of our founders here, a fellow named Pandel Savick, who at the end of his life, you know, had Alzheimer's disease. And of course, Jim lost his dad. And right. So we've been close to the Alzheimer's Foundation and tried to support that through Jim's foundation in Houston. And uh, just over the years, you know, every uh, we sort of, you know, that's the cool part. I mean, I, I used to have dinner every night with uh, Tim Rosafort, which this oh, year yeah, I won't was, be able yeah. to so we uh, sadly lost him, but another giant, yeah. Yeah, and so, you know, every week, you know, I, you know I'd you have lunch with this person and then Lance Barrow and then Jim Nance and, you know, we'd have, you know, just this, it's kind of, the, you know, a, a, a magical week of, you know, yeah. getting to, you know, just to see these people and to be the center of the golf world for one week a year and to have these people around and, and look, I look, Jim Nance is like that to at every tour event he goes to, but he sure makes me feel special. And uh, he's been really nice to me over the years. And uh, the fact that he was able to uh, work that in, you know, with Lance Sparrow kind of behind the scenes and, and get Jack to say something was uh, like I said, it's, you know, I could have dropped the mic and walked off and lived happily ever after. <laughs> it was wonderful moment seeing it. And I'm sure it was a wonderful moment for you. That's very cool. So the Strasbourg war, let's just go back to that for a second, you know, talks, you know, about people, it's a huge award in the industry for club pros in particular for people who have mentored. Um, and I know that's been a huge thing. I've heard many people have talked to me about that aspect of you maybe talk a little bit about that and and you know the i know you've had all these assistants kind of like you're like you know the ultimate graduate school for people you know they go on from from working under your tutelage to all sorts of um fantastic position but maybe talk about what that's been like and all the young people that you've mentored over the years i'm sure that's been a great source of pride for you well, it has, and we kind of refer to ourselves again, you know, uh, whether it's my golf course superintendent or my general manager, we look at ourselves as almost like a teaching college. Uh, each one of us takes great pride. Uh, uh, Paul Latchall was our previous superintendent that I worked here with for 15 years. And you can go down through that whole Latchall tree of golf course superintendents that are all the top clubs in the country. And then Chad Mark has come in and continued that. And Nicholas LaRocca, who's had all these young people come in that have gone on in the you know, management. So it's sort of an expectation. And I, and I, I think Jack and Barbara and Jack too, I know for sure, 
uh, really think that's an important part of what we do, which is uh, bringing in talented, skilled young people, helping them develop, um, and then watching them go on, uh, you know, and be successful in life. Uh, you know, I often talk about one of the best days is on Thanksgiving Day. Uh, quite a few of them feel, you know, obligated to pick up the phone and thank me. And it's, uh, you know, to get these phone calls is incredible. But part of the reason, you know, I've, I've, you know, I've retired and now come back is that I'm not sure I was always the easiest guy to work for. Uh, <laughs> I it was pretty demanding. Um, and, uh, yeah, I really wanted to see if I couldn't change uh, my management style because I, I, I must admit my expectations are very high as a as I tell all my staff, my expectations of them are no higher than the expectations of the members on me. But, you know, we have, you know, uh, I'm really looking forward because it's a very different uh, labor pool and workforce now. Yeah, and I've got two, sure. young, two young sons that are, you know, 34 and 31 and, uh, you know, listening to them. So, uh, you know, part of the reason I came out of retirement and I'm looking forward to this coming year is uh, seeing if I can't get better, you know, see if I can't get better as a mentor and as a leader and as a, uh, and, and just, you know, work with this new generation and try and have the same results. Cause we obviously had fabulous results, but see, if we can't do it in a little kinder, gentler way. That's fascinating. So talk to me a little bit about, you know, so I know you had retired from, you know, the head pro position at Muirfield. So t talk to me about what you are doing now and sort of what role you're playing now and, and what that's like. Yeah, we had, you know, we, I, I decided to retire and right. uh, we had a couple of situations that unfortunately didn't work. They were um, really nice and very good golf professionals, but this is a unique place. It's, uh, sure. you know, it's founded on the premise of being a, a national club. Yeah. Uh, although we have a very large and active local membership. Um, you don't have any committees here. Uh, you know, as Jack told me, you know, don't make any stupid rules cause you have to enforce them. Uh, you know, so, you know, it's a very, uh, it's the job everybody talks about wanting to have, you know, where you don't report to committees on a day to day basis or have all that. But on the other hand, it's, uh, you know, it, it's challenging because, uh, you know, I have to make the rules. I have to enforce them. And, you know, I work for the membership and yet I'm, I'm the, you know, in charge of running the program. So, um, unfortunately we had two very good golf professionals that came here and it didn't work. So in October of last year, Jack said, Hey, look, you know, why don't you come back, stay as long as you want. And, uh, you know, we'll, you know, get, get the operation back on the rails, give the membership some continuity to what we're doing here. And, and we'll figure this all out when you decide you really do want to re you know, retire. So uh, I came back in October of last year and I'm putting together a team now. Uh, we're going to open the golf shop March 30th. Uh, we're going to open the range with a demo day on April 8th and uh, the golf course on April 9th. And, you know, there's so many talented people in our business right now, yep. uh, whether it's David Reasoner at Ridgewood or Jimmy Smith at uh, Philadelphia Cricket Club or Scott Paris at Plainfield or Jeff Kitty at Aronimic, I, Eric Eshelman at Birmingham. I've learned so much hanging around with these guys that uh, I'm like really excited. It's like, you know, I feel like Tom Brady, you know, today. You know, just, <laughs> there you yeah, go. Right. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, I want, I want one more shot. I think I can do it better. I'll be honest with you. With it, 45 years as a head golf professional, quite honestly, I think, you know, 2022, I may be my best. That's fantastic. I, I, I hadn't realized that you had come back. That's awesome. 
That that's awesome, so, uh, and that's yeah, so, could, yeah, that's great. I mean, and, and you're right. You know, you, you you mentioned a lot of interesting. It is a bit of a different environment today in terms of you know the younger people you're working with. So, um, and that's so fantastic for you to recognize. You know, it may be a different mix that's required with the particular generation you're dealing with now and stuff. That's very neat. I I, I commend you for that. That's uh, that's neat. Well, thank you. I mean, I happen to think that you know this younger generation is really smart, and yeah. and I and, and I think they they have skills that surpass anything I was able to do. And I've just I'm anxious to you know run a golf operation with these you know young talented people and and see if we can't just even elevate what we're currently doing. And uh, yeah, so I'm excited. I you know and and, and again uh, you know part of it is you know uh, you know my playing skills have diminished over the years, so. I've gone out and hired a young man, uh, you know, Jim Dent's son, Joe, who's a young aspiring player. And oh, I'm wow. going to bring him up here to, you know, work for the summer and, and work on his game. He, he has aspirations to play the corn furry tour. And I'm going like, you know, how cool would that be if we could help this young man, you know, totally. progress in our industry? Yeah, totally. And, and, you know, and the other thing you mentioned it and, uh, you know, Muirfield's such a national club. I mean, you must have people coming through all the time, you know, well, if I'm going to be in Columbus, I'm, you know, and try to play, you know, uh, your field. I mean, I, you must see people from all across the industry. I mean, I know you do during the week Memorial, but even just generally people must, you must get quite a few interesting folks come play, I would imagine. Right. Yeah. We get a lot of requests and, and, you know, one of the things that, you know, Jack's always been good about it. He, he likes to share. He wants everybody to have an opportunity to play, a Muirfield Village Golf Club. So, you know, we're obviously an exclusive private club, uh, but we want people to experience what we do here. Uh, you know, how great the golf course is, but more importantly, how well, uh, you know, we treat people, the hospitality and the, and the whole experience. We realize that this is bucket list material for some people. They exactly. come here to play right. golf and it's something they've wanted to do their whole life. And so every day we come in, we, you know, we know, you know, there's high expectations. And so we have to, work hired to, you know, meet and match those expectations. So um, I can tell you this, we've already started. We've got football Fridays are like the biggest days of the year. September's our busiest month. And OSU opens up this year against Notre Dame in September. And I, I tell you what, I could, if I had spots for 400 people, I could, I could sign up 400 people to play. I was going to say at some point we have to mention Buckeyes and stuff, because I would think, you know, when the football season rolls around, I, that doesn't surprise me at all. And of course, Jack is well known as such a huge, you know, Buckeye uh, supporter and stuff like that. So I'm sure those are plenty busy in the fall. No doubt about it. Um, Larry, I want to tell you, this has been just fantastic. I really appreciate you um, giving of your time and, um, fantastic that you're having, you know, after a great 25 year run, it's sort of volume two that you're back at it and stuff. And, um, you know, I wish you all the best. And, and again, thank you so much for sharing all this. It's been wonderful. Well, thank you for the opportunity. It's nice to get to meet you. And as we used to say, when I was a main shake and howdy, so we'll hopefully get together sometime in, in person, but, uh, thank you for the opportunity to share my story. I'm, I'm a lucky guy. I'm very blessed. Well, and you've had just a tremendous life in the game. Thank you very much, Larry. Be well. All right.